Hello and welcome to the AFC Dons Cast with me, Graham Mackay, for the 2022-23 season. Our weekly roundup of Dons News is back every Tuesday evening from 8pm. Hope you've been doing okay and keeping track of all our new summer signings. We had a reasonable start with an unbeaten run in the League Cup group stages. But the real test came on Sunday with our league opener against Celtic. The Dons fielding eight new debutants in the red shirt. And it didn't take long for the Glasgow side to find the opener. Stephen Welsh opening the scoring in the third minute. Despite the early loss, we dug deep and looked more comfortable towards the end of the first half. But Celtic put the match beyond us with a second goal from Jota sealing the win in the 75th minute. It was a tap opener for our team and supporters alike. Let's just hope it's a blip rather than more of the same from last season. Jim, might have been a different game had that Johnny Hayes chance ended up in the back of the net. How did you review the 90 minutes? Uh, well, extremely disappointed, obviously, to lose the game, um, but very frustrated with the start. You know, you just you can never come to a venue like this and give the opposition a goal head start, and that's what we did. You know, we we have to defend the set play better. You know, it's not about pointing fingers at individuals, but we've got to be a bit more aggressive and go and attack the ball. And we didn't do that, so straight away you find yourself with a mountain to climb. Uh, when you ever maybe you come to Parkhead or to Ibrox, you talk about trying to silence the crowd you know stay in the game for the opening 15-20 minutes uh, create that frustration and hope that that stems from the stand onto the pitch but you know we just got off to the worst possible start credit to the players they didn't allow the heads to go down they still tried to play in, in, in the way that we know we can but um, you know ultimately we just weren't good enough on the day Celtic had that little bit more quality and you know sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up and obviously the longer you can keep it at nil-nil the better um, and looking at the goal, I think there were three red shirts attacking the ball, one in hoops, and it's Welsh that gets his head to it. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the players are giving their men to uh, to pick up on those situations, and, um, you know, unfortunately, Welsh got above our guy and, and headed it into the, into the back of the net, into the far corner. So it is very frustrating, but, you know, I, I always believed we'd get opportunities, and I'm not saying we got, you know, many clear-cut chances, but we did get chances, you know, and Johnny, the one that you mentioned... Uh, it was a good opportunity. It's not. It's not a. You know, it's not an obvious goal-scoring chance, but it's an opportunity. And um, you know, Johnny's unlucky. I, I thought maybe at the time he possibly could have hit it first time, um, but opted to take the touch and just put it by the post. We did get one or two other half chances, but you know, in the end, we didn't trouble the Celtic backline enough. Um, you know, we didn't really force Joe Hart into making too many saves, and um, yeah, just got to credit Celtic for their overall performance. I thought coming into the game with the bit of momentum we had from the League Cup um, group stage that you know we would be able to uh, take the game to Celtic a little bit more than what we did but unfortunately we weren't able to do that Rob. Are you pleased with Hayden Coulson and what he did on debut and Cal Roberts off the bench as well? Yeah I mean look you want your subs to come on and try and make it an impact. Cal's a very very tidy footballer he's technically very good um, you know I actually think Anthony Stewart and Ross McCrory you know albeit we've conceded a couple of goals not a great deal those two could have done about the goals or Kel Roos for that matter um, you know the second one from Jota is uh, a hell of a strike I did feel in the build up to that we should have had a corner at the, at the top end which you know probably would have prevented that one but um, look it's it's one of those games where you know we have to just uh, accept what's happened here today we've not I don't want to be too hard on the players um, we've got to dust ourselves down. You know, there's always things that we can learn and things we can do better. But we'll not set up like we did today um, in too many games going forward. You know, the fitness levels aren't there at the moment because it's so early in the season where you can go and try and be a bit more aggressive and press a little bit higher. 
Uh, Majowski's only had two and a half weeks training. You know, Duke is way behind the rest of the squad as well, Cal Roberts. Um, so we need to try and get those guys up to speed. Um, but we have to be better uh, next Saturday against St Mirren and we have to impose our game and the brand of football that we showed in the League Cup games um, against St Mirren next week. There were plenty of pluses, as you say, today, and we're now going into a, a trio of games coming up in August, which, which you will think are winnable, starting with St Mirren at Pataudry. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, we go into every game wanting to win it and, and with a game plan in place, but, you know, with the greatest of respect to St Mirren, you know, they're not going to dominate the ball the same way that Celtic did here today. They don't have the rotation and, um, and what have you, but it's equally going to be a very tough fixture. You know, there are no easy games but um, you know I would expect us to have a lot more of the ball next weekend and then we have to try and do to St Mirren what Celtic done to us here today and try and get behind their back line try and penetrate a little bit more and, um, and try and create some more goal scoring opportunities like we did in the League Cup games Jim thanks very much thanks Rob Catch live audio and video of our next match only on Red TV. Subscribe now for full match day coverage, replays, highlights and all the goals, exclusive interviews and behind the scenes content. Sign up now at redtv.afc.co.uk. The best of the action only on Red TV. On opening weekend in the SPFL, Rangers came from behind to beat Livingston 2-1 at the Tony Macaroni Arena with goals from Scott Arfield and James Tavernier. It was also 2-1 for Hearts against Ross County at Tynecastle. Josh Campbell scored a last-minute goal as Hibs won 1-0 at St Johnston. And Ash Taylor's stoppage time goal earned Kilmarnock a 1-0 draw against Dundee United at Rugby Park. Partick Thistle kicked off the championship campaign with a 3-2 victory away to Dundee, while Cove Rangers marked their second-tier debut with a 2-0 win over Wraith Rovers at the Balmoral Stadium. It was 1-0 between Inverness, Cali Thistle and Queen's Park in the Highland Capital, and that was also the scoreline between Hamilton Ackies and Morton at New Douglas Park. Air United and are both drew 0-0 at Somerset Park. Clyde notched up a 4-1 opening day win over Queen of the South at Palmerston in League One. Airdrieonians kicked off with a 2-0 win against Peterhead at Balmore and it was also 2-0 for FC Edinburgh against Kelty Hearts at New Central Park. Dunfermline Athletic beat Allo Athletic 1-0 at East End Park while Falkirk and Montrose drew 0-0 at the Falkirk Stadium. Bonnie Reg Rose made a winning start to life in League Two, beating Forfar Athletic at New Dundas Park. It was also 2-0 for Dumbarton at home to Stirling Albion, while East Fife defeated Elgin City 3-1 at Barra Briggs. Stranraer beat Annan Athletic 1-0 at Stair Park, and it was also 1-0 for Stenhouse Muir against Albion Rovers at Oakville View. In the earlier game on Sunday in the Premiership, Motherwell defeated St Mirren 1-0 in Paisley thanks to a Kevin Van Veen penalty, despite a late red card for Ricky Lamy. More Don's News. Straight after this. Cute pictures, cute music. Change the music. That's the one. Showtime. Okay, Paramount Plus, I want to stream something epic. <laughs> Fantastical, I want to see stars. Nice, but I meant film stars. There we go. Now, how about an action montage? Give me a kick, a hit, and a smash with an explosion. A bit more. How about a classic? Oh, a future classic. Humanity's best weapon. Find the halo. Win the war. And the making of a classic. You want to make the Godfather? Believe me, you don't want this kind of trouble. This is really scary. Well, then give me something for the kids. I love this kid! Oh! The grown-up kids. I'm back. And the ones who still act like kids. 
What? I want brand new. How do you really feel about being first lady? Give me intriguing. I'm talking to someone from the planet. So am I. Now, give me a killer line. Hello, Sydney. Not a killer's line, a killer line. This has only ever been about the two of us. Anything else you want to show me? Uh, it's not web. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Hit me with everything you've got. History. I plan to. The city has been taken out of this world. This is when the fun starts. Now, all we need is one big tagline to wrap this up. A mountain of entertainment. There it is. Love it. Paramount Plus, a brand new streaming service. You couldn't ask for anything more. Aberdeen Women start their campaign this coming Sunday against Hamilton at New Douglas Park. Kickoff is at 4pm. That's followed by our home fixture against Rangers on the 14th of August and Partick Thistle on the 21st. Both matches will be played at the Balmodal Stadium. And we round off August with an away fixture against Glasgow City FC on Sunday the 28th of August. The Rangers, Partick and Glasgow City matches still have kickoff times to be confirmed. Eden McCafferty has joined Aberdeen Women ahead of the start of their season kickoff this Sunday. A 22-year-old defender has spent time with the Dons squad before signing for the Dons. She started her footballing career with Monifeath FC before joining Dundee United, helping them win two leagues and the league cap. A Scotland under-19, Erin opted to purse a scholarship in America with Queen's University of Charlotte, North Carolina in 2018, before returning to Scotland four years later to sign with Forfar Farmington. Erin, welcome to Aberdeen. How does it feel to finally get uh, on the pitch? Uh, it feels really good. Um, I'm happy to be here. It's a good group of girls and I'm excited to see what we can do this season. You've been here for most of pre-season now, so how have you been settling into the group? I've uh, been settling really well. The girls have welcomed me in. Um, there's a mixture of ages, but most of them are roughly my age. Um, training's been good. It's been intense. It's been a good standard. Um, and it's, we've had good laughs and stuff like that. So, yeah. And tell us a bit about your kind of time in football. Where did you start off and what's led you to Aberdeen? Yeah, so I'm from down south a bit from Dundee. Um, I started off kind of at United, Dundee United Women's. Um, and then I moved away to America for four years um, for a scholarship. And then I was kind of playing for four for when I was coming home. Um, but that's me back now and I'm kind of looking to move into Premier League football. Um, and yeah, I chose Aberdeen just because it's a really good setup and I seem to get on really well with the group of girls here. David Bates still forms part of Jim Goodwin's plans despite the deal for the Dons defender falling through with Legia Warsaw. Bates had passed his medical, but the Polish outfit pulled out of the reported £200,000 deal at the 11th hour. He was left out of the Don squad for their visit to Celtic on Sunday. But Jim Goodwin confirmed that he's still very much an Aberdeen player with two years left on his contract. And finally, the draw for the 2022-23 Scottish Cup preliminary round took place at Hamden Park this afternoon. The full draw is on the Inverness Reds website at invernessreds.co.uk. Tuning in to the AFC Donscast each week. Couldn't be easier. We're on all the popular platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn and Stitcher. And on the web at our website, afcdonscast.co.uk. Catch us on the big screen via Apple TV and on the road via Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Got a smart speaker? Just say, play AFC Donscast. One podcast. Listen everywhere. Every Tuesday evening from 8. 
Okay, sit back and listen in to the next Graham Hunter in conversation interview, this time with Director of Football Stephen Gann. It gives a great insight as to what happens behind the scenes at Pataudry and Cormac Park. I'll be back in about an hour's time with some supporters' news. Till then, keep on listening. Hello, dandies everywhere. Um, we've run two of these types of interviews so far, one with the chairman, one with the manager. How would it be possible to start the season without talking to Aberdeen Football Club's director of football, Stephen Gunn? Morning, Stephen. Morning, Graham. Yeah, ready for this, looking forward to this. And for those who are um, still irked um, about the way last season went, let, let's admit that in a little bit we're going to talk about last summer's recruitment and your assessment of where it went wrong in terms of the majority of the players now moving on and us having a, had a really difficult season. But I'm unadulteratedly excited about the operations that you pulled off this season. If I count correctly, it's nine signings plus a couple of players recuperated, Ryan Duncan and Young Hancock. I don't think you need to waste time and say, OK, just because we've had a good summer, that's, that's a massive league campaign guaranteed or a cup going to be lifted, any of that stuff. The, the, the summer for you and Darren Mowbray and for the board and to an extent for Jim Goodwin, the summer is your Scottish Cup. Your area of combat is, is the transfer window. You've taken nine players and one I don't think Aberdeen Football Club in its history, certainly in my Lifetime. I can't remember us having signed signed nine players and taking in a couple of more. And we heard the manager after the last win talking about there being more to come. When you've got such complicated operations, so many of them, such research to do, what kind of experience is it to go through for you and your team? Um, this has clearly been a really busy period uh, for all of us and the team and it's not just about the the period within the window as well all, all of this work clearly starts you know eight ten months in advance of the the time that we're in uh, we're in now and this really kicked off when Darren Mowbray was first appointed um, later last summer and to pick up on the point that you raised uh, initially and, and you know people will be um, expecting us to, to cover it is that none of us are sitting here looking at the last 12 months and thinking that um, you know there's been anything uh, to take from that that we should be particularly um, uh, proud of in terms of the performance on the pitch and that obviously um, comes from uh, some of the work that we did um, that we did last summer now we came through that period a, a significant period of transition then with a new uh, management team and uh, it was a new infrastructure right across the football operation as a whole and one of the areas that we um, that we did um, evolve was the recruitment department and we needed the time to make sure that we got the right individual um, in place in Darren and Darren was the um, outstanding candidate through that through that process and that process took us into um, into the late summer so we didn't get the benefit of Darren's um, expertise, his knowledge, his network um, until really he was fully um, in the door and um, clearly that was at a time when we'd already started um, competition we'd had uh, games obviously in the in the league um, early on and also in European competition and we needed the squad in place to 
to try and um, be as competitive in that as as we could. We've clearly there's lessons to be taken from uh, from uh, last summer, but every, all the processes that we've put in place now with Darren, the work he's doing with his team, with the scouting uh, network that he's had, and it's an area we've um, we've invested in over that period also it puts us in a much better place in terms of the decisions that we're making on um, on recruitment and um, hopefully we'll see the fruits of that once we see this group of players that we've assembled now gel and have time together and uh, let's see what they can produce on the pitch. Listen, Stephen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you right on the spot right away, OK? You and your team have hired... A Portuguese junior international striker. You've managed to bring in a North Macedonian who's playing in Hungary. You've managed to bring in an Albanian Kosovan. You've managed to nick into Celtic Park and take on loan a young Irishman with lots of talent. There are other ones to focus upon, but I want you to now shed all executive responsibilities and say, because you're a dandy, you were a dandy before you went to Robert Gordon University and before you were hired to this club, before you spent two decades trying to make our club better. Which of them is your favourite operation? Which of them, given the difficulties, given when you first were brought player files on all the various media that um, Darren and his team can use, made you go, wow, that's the one. Pick one and tell the fans which of these operations has been the best for you. In terms of the process... In terms of not, in terms of the glow, the ready, the ready break glow you get when you go home at the end of the night and you see the family and go, boy, I did, we've done a good couple of months work there and today we nailed it. I think, um, I mean, I, c- I could pick a, a number of those on that list that you've you've just read there, but um, I'll maybe just pick on the, the Ramadani one just because of the process, the time that it took um, and obviously the added complications of uh, of Brexit and um, and the new procedures that we need to go through to get get some of these players into the um, into the club. So um, we effectively um, changed how we identified our initial pool of players. We do a lot of data work. Um, and Darren Mowbray, uh, his background is in data analysis uh, too. Um, he did have a, a playing uh, background, uh, moved on to data analysis and subsequently in uh, player recruitment. And we were able to um, utilise all of those uh, skill sets that, that he has and brings to the table. He does have um, data analysis support as well. Um, that we've uh, invested in to make sure that um, we are looking in a pool of players that one, we think is affordable for the club and two, that we think is going to bring a level of quality that's at least going to uh, um, be able to compete in our team but also improve how we've performed. So, so, so when, you, when you and Darren, like his scouting team first, when you first see Ramadani, what are the things that stand out? I think one of the, the initial things was in, uh, being able to translate to the Scottish game um, and Darren um, and Tom O'Neill, one of his scouts, both uh, had a meeting with me um, excited about what they'd seen. Um, Darren was at a game, uh, I think it was in February, in Hungary. They, they went to watch Miovski, in fact. They saw Ramadani also. And... Um, I think it was in the 92nd minute, he made a lung-busting run from uh, edge of his own box into the uh, opposition box. And I think his team were put, they were 2-0 up or something at the time. And 
um, right away we thought that's the type of character that we want in our team. Still hungry, still got legs, still got lungs, wants more, that kind of impact. Yes, absolutely. And we were trying to add more uh, energy to the, the middle of the pitch. We're trying to add um, characters into the dressing room that can be a positive influence, not just by you know how they communicate with players, but also by um, by their actions. And right away, that's what we saw in uh, in Ilber. I'm gonna if, if Zoom allowed you to reach out and punch me in the face, this would be the moment because I'm gonna commit sacrilege now and say there's a little bit of Simi in him. When I've gone back and looked at the tapes, he loves to get in to a midfielder receiving the ball with his, with his back to goal and nick in just a tiny little elbow bomb and, let, and get the ball and nick it and away. When I see that, I know that not only is that really effective for disrupting other teams, it's what the Patoti faithful and the travelling Red Army want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, a lot of the, the things that he brings to the game uh, suit Aberdeen, suit our philosophy, suit Scottish football. You know he's he's robust as well. He's brave, um, but not only brave in terms of going into the challenge. He's brave on the ball. He's good off both feet. Um, we think he can score a goal from the edge of the box. We've seen him do that um, in his recent uh, career, and we think um, when you know if we're dominating the ball in a lot of the games, particularly at home, then we're going to get a lot of chances. We think um, at the edge of the box. Um, like we saw uh, uh, last season actually and hopefully um, with his energy and enthusiasm to to attack the box then uh, we think he can get on the end of uh, a few cutbacks or um, even create a wee opportunity for for himself but um, it's that infectious enthusiasm for the game that uh, was the thing that, that came through but clearly the quality was important for us as well he retains the ball well he um, he takes the ball off his off his centre backs, he can play six, he can play eight, um, and we think he's fully rounded in terms of what he can bring to the team. All right, I'm going to get all technical. When you say six and eight, you know, each each country has actually got slightly different definitions. Do, yeah. do you take six as being the organising central midfielder, what the Spanish would call a pivot, a four in Spain, a, 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 the, the position that we saw Guardiola playing, somebody who organises the middle of the midfield and links with the back four? Yes, exactly. I think um, traditionally uh, the six has been that pivot take the ball off the centre-back, uh, make the first few uh, uh, passes. But I think what we're seeing more and more now, and, and we've probably seen it um, even in Derek's time uh, with Stephen and, and now with Jim, that they like their midfield players to be rounded, to be able to do a bit of everything. Um, and more and more teams will maybe play with two eights, like teams okay, did, stop, you know. Okay, <laughs> stop there and help the no help the punters by saying, yeah. what do you and, and the coaching team mean by an eight in our system? I think well, an eight versus a six is somebody that's got more license to to get forward. So in some games, um, you might see us play with one of the midfield players or two who will stay the uh, the defensive side of the of the ball. But I think what we uh, want to try and achieve and um, the way we want to play. Um, particularly at home in a lot of games away from home where there's an expectation that we are going to be the dominant team um, an expectation both from us and from uh, our, our fans um, that's when you know we're wanting to be able to commit men into the box and we need our midfield players to, to be able to contribute goals 
Um, we probably saw in the last uh, couple of years anyway that we've been over-reliant on maybe one or two players in terms of the goals that we're, we're producing. So we need that to come from more areas of the pitch. OK, give, give, give the, the, the Dandies fans a real privilege to try, without breaching confidentiality, take them into your world. Stephen, it, it's, it's bread and butter to you and to Darren and, and now to our board and our manager. But when you're trying to recruit... Um, a Kosovan Albanian from a Hungarian club. Just try and tell people about how the flipping heck that happens. Give some details about travel, language, making contacts, finding out an agent, convincing. Try and paint a proper picture of how that operation happens. Well, if I, I take us back to February uh, earlier this year um, when Darren Mowbray uh, travelled um, to Hungary to watch um, Miovski and uh, Ramadani. Then he was met there by uh, the agent of one of the players. Um, he builds that relationship um, over a period of time. And that's not the start of the process. That is the part of the process where he's going to validate what he's seen on the video, what the data work um, is, is, has been telling us. So this is him now going to see with, with the eye. And we commit now to try and ensure that we're able to do that on, on all of the players that we're, that we're bringing in. There's obviously um, different facets of how we arrive at the decision. There's the data work. There's um, the work that we do on video. Um, we always have maybe four or five scouts do reports on each individual player, so we get that uh, different flavour of the views across the... Sometimes, sometimes contra- contrasting opinions, presumably, in order that you can balance it, and it's not everybody saluting the big boss's opinion. It's, it's somebody chucking in, well, I see this potential problem, or, oh, no, I see this that, that maybe somebody else hasn't witnessed that's positive. Yeah, absolutely. And what we like to do is see them in different environments as well. So we'll watch a game where they're playing away from home. We'll watch a game where they're playing a team at the top of the league or the bottom of the league. We'll watch a game that they've lost or won so that we're not seeing um, only maybe the good side and, and, and we get overexcited about something that might not translate to here. So different environments we want to see them in. Stephen, let's not, let's not beat about the bush because this is analytically crucial. For people that pay season ticket money, for people that um, sponsor our club, for Aberdeen, D- Aberdeen DNA members, everyone needs to realise that's a pretty serious outlay of cash. If you're going to take a, which I think is indispensable to back up data work and video work with in-person work, when you see body language, when you see what the camera's not following, when you hear what the fans in, in a stadium think about one of their players, that's, that's a pretty serious outlay of cash. It, it is, um, but we see it as, a, um, as an investment in the decision uh, or decisions that we, we should be making on, on players. And if I take this back um, 12 months or so, the board um, backed us in terms of the structure that we wanted to put in place. And we're not fully there yet in terms of um, filling all of those uh, roles. We have just in the last month or so and recruited another full-time scout within the department, uh, Graham Ellis, so he will be working closely uh, with, with Darren. And Just give me that first name again. It's Graham. Yeah, he's, he's a good signing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
the point the point you make about the signing, I think you're absolutely um, absolutely right. If we don't get these decisions right in terms of the um, who the people are that we're sending to watch uh, watch these players, watch these games, um, make the technical assessment, make the recommendation back to Jim, then um, you know it'll fall at the at the first hurdle. But that's something we believe that uh, we have now in place, and um, that's why we've been able to. Um, visit these a lot of these countries in person. I think Dave's mentioned it on a previous interview. Um, Darren has been, I think it was 16 countries in person, and we've watched games in uh, 24 countries. So that's the type of network we've uh, we've opened up, and it's be all, it's become increasingly difficult to source the level of quality that we need in our team um, locally. And by locally, I mean within the UK. Um, and more and more we were finding um, ourselves competing for, for players that maybe we didn't truly believe were going to take us to the next level. So that's why we've needed to go further afield to try and achieve that. You, the first Aberdeen jersey I was ever given in about for Christmas in 68 or 69 was Henning Ball. So uh, it's a goal, Henning Ball. It, it's, it's not you know, all that unusual to have foreign players at Aberdeen. However, I'd be surprised if we've had such a, an international mix as we do right now. And therefore, I'd ask in terms of, you know, we've already pointed out that this summer has been a large operation. Nine signed, two brought back, several out, with possibly some more signings to come. It might be coincidental, but I'm saying that there's going to be benefits that Bojan Mayowski and Ramadani have played and trained together for NTK. And I'm going to say that that's similar about the fact that the Jordi, uh, the Jordi Messi, Callum Roberts and Jaden Richardson have trained and played together for Notts County. You don't go out necessarily deliberately to sign that, but when you bring that, that's got for Jim and his coaching staff, that's got to be a bonus. I think so, and I think it's a bonus, first of all, in the sense that um, when we have Ramadani committed um, to come to Aberdeen and we are uh, looking to try and commit Miovsky as well and Miovsky knows there's a familiar uh, face already in the building and somebody that, that, that's taken that leap of faith uh, to come here then that certainly helps obviously the understanding on the pitch hopefully we get that anyway through the work Jim's doing on the training pitch but I think it probably does give these guys a head start in terms of um, you know the movements that, that people will make. Ramadani we've already seen in the games, he likes to make slightly drool passes in between uh, centre-backs um, and full-backs and hopefully he'll be finding uh, Boyan with, uh, with some of those passes. Listen, tell me, you don't need to t- explain to Dandy's fans the pitch that you made to a player to come to Dandy's because we all love the club. But the process of persuading somebody, pick anybody you like, you know, we've spent time on Mayowski and Ramadani so far. What extras are they asking of you? What, what, what are they wanting to be confirmed? You, talk, you use a good phrase there, leap of faith. I, I think the modern footballer is, is conceptually quite used to the idea of changing culture, changing country, changing language. But, you know, it's a couple of years since we won a European trophy, a couple of years since we won the league. What do you have to do, and pick an example of any of them to say, right, you know, make that leap of faith beyond agreeing a salary? Yeah, we we um, we do follow a, a process. Sometimes that takes uh, different turns def- depending on the player, the agent uh, that's involved. But one of the things we do with every player is we do an introductory call. 
So myself, Jim Goodwin, um, Darren Mowbray will get on the call with the agent, with the player, sometimes a member of the player's uh, family, and we essentially do a pitch. This is what our club is all about, and the aim of that is to try and answer as many of their questions before they actually ask them. So we cover what the city's like. We cover this is the environment you're coming in at the training ground. This is what you'll be coming into in the building. This is what we provide you. This is the team of people that that work here. Um, These are the pitches you're going to be training on. This is the stadium you're going to be playing in. Um, These are the fans that you're going to be playing in front of. And um, also uh, we touch upon our recent record as well of being able to develop emerging talent, build a value in that talent and hopefully um, those players you know, move on and achieve things as well at, um, at other clubs. And a lot of the players, particularly the ones um, I would say uh, that are in the early part of their career, they're potentially looking at Aberdeen as a, as a stepping stone. But if we can um, convince them to come here for a, a good part of their career, they help us achieve what we need to do on the pitch and we help them make the next step in their career, and we're able to realise a value for that at the end of that process, then that's exactly what our model uh, needs to be. But all of that is only uh, worthwhile if we end up achieving what we set out um, on the pitch. And it's all very well, you know, building a value, selling talent on, you know, taking that resource in, uh, that finance in, and then reinvesting it. But the whole point of taking that approach is to make sure that we are in a better place going forward to help us win on the pitch. Listen, we can't waste a whole interview on this point specifically, but it's one thing I hold very dear, and you used the word. Over my time, over my life, not just my career, Aberdeen has been a club where the playing philosophy has been dictated by the coach that comes in. And I've, I've always believed that really senior clubs, important clubs, where there's consistency of vision. You have a playing philosophy. This is how we play at this stadium. This is how we play on the road. These are our concepts. And you hire coaches or managers based on that. And I don't think I don't think we necessarily did that very much during my lifetime or career. But do we you use the word philosophy? Do we have an enshrined philosophy? These are our playing principles and hiring recruitment staff, hiring a coach, hiring a fitness uh, preparator, hiring players will be based around our philosophy. Do we have a Bible of how we want to play from from now until, you know, this isn't the board that's in charge of the club and somebody has different ideas? Do we have that, Stephen? Yes, we do. Um, And over, I would say, the last four or five years, that's something that's been refined. And we're, we're actually going through a process right now um, where that is getting presented again uh, to the board probably late September, um, early October. So all of the football uh, staff, the, the staff there with the technical um, expertise uh, of the game, um, from the manager um, all the way down to the youth academy, they're all involved in, in that process. And clearly when you bring a new manager in, and Jim's been in um, for a good number of months now, he's got his views on you know, what that looks like as well. And there's two elements of that. One is how you want your team to look. But obviously when you break it down into its constituent parts, right, what does a right back look like? What does a centre back look like? So um, we've been taking on board uh, Jim's views on that uh, as well. And I think 
with the players that we've brought in, you're starting to see um, uh, some of the uh, the criteria that we've set. Um, and we spoke about it before with with Eilber. It's that ability to to get up and down uh, the pitch. Yes, he's a nice football player to look at um, on the eye, but also can he be uh, effective with the other side of the game? And it's it's elements like that that we're refining uh, now. And uh, we clearly involve our sports science team um, in that as well. And one thing uh, that we have tried to um, to be more thorough with um, with this recent uh, batch of recruits is the medical process and who's involved in that process. Now, clearly, the doctor, the physios, they're the people you would expect to be involved in that process, but also the sports science team. Right, what are the battery tests? Um, we're seeing something in Eobar Ramadani uh, when we watch the video. Are we able to see that when we, um, when we do the tests that we set as part of the, the medical process? And that just reaffirms as well, helps... Um, I suppose strengthen that that decision that we've that we've taken based on what Arai is telling us. So it's trying to find all these ways to add value to the decision making process, right from the um, the first part in terms of the the data side, then the going to see the player um, in the flesh, and then um, obviously through the through the the next part of the recruitment process in terms of is he the right character when we get on that call with him when we meet him in person is he the person that we we think he can be and then obviously on to the medical side. Okay, key key thing there, and you've you've mentioned it before. And when I interview directors of football or talk to scouts, and sometimes clubs phone me and say we've done X much on a, on a player in Spain. Tell us the rest. Tell us the personal side. Find out what his character's like. It's now both probably the most difficult part of a recruitment operation, unless somebody's asking for double the salary, then, then you've got budget, which is pretty damn difficult. But it's also one of the most necessary. It's an emerging science. Character data, personality, behaviour traits. What do we as a club do about that? What have you learned? What examples can you give about how to find out about a person? You can tell a lot, obviously, when you um, observe the games. You know, when the games are not going well, when they give a pass away, what's their next their next pass like? Um, but also um, all of those things you alluded to there in terms of um, trying to do the, the diligence beyond what happens on uh, on the pitch and clearly that can become a challenge the further afield you go but that's where the network becomes really important and a huge part of bringing Darren Mowbray into the club um, last year was his experience as a European scout with with Burnley and he this isn't something he's doing new he's he's no rookie at this this is a guy that has um, has done this at the highest level in the in the English Premier League. So um, he's been able to bring that network with him um, to Aberdeen, and already we've benefited significantly from that. Um, so it's not like when he picks the phone up, he's um, he's having to introduce himself. I'm Darren Mowbray, um, the head of recruitment at Aberdeen. A lot of the people he'll be speaking to will know him very well from his previous role. And the suggestion there is that what he can do is he can probe into those areas. There's famously, there was a really good book analysing, Liverpool is one of the clubs in, in the United Kingdom that has best 
done its operations in terms of spotting people at the right time, in terms of all the attributes that you've been talking about that a club needs, but also in terms of buying them on the upward curve in terms of value, they'll play, their value will rise, they may eventually go, but they'll be part of a successful season where trophies have come and a, and a rise, a rise in general of what's been happening um, at that club. And, you know, when you analyse not only their use of data and, and how well the owners have backed them in buying and selling, they were following Alexis Sanchez around and checking out what he drank when he went to cafes um, and trying to phone people up and say, you know, <laughs> give us the inside scoop on this fella. Is he, is he what he appears? There are limits to that, but you're saying that Darren's got a network whereby you can ask the hard questions attitude, nightlife, mentality, behaviour patterns, discipline, things like that. Absolutely, and and um, what Darren's brought is an extension to the network, clearly, that's that's already here. Um, you know, I've been in this, uh, uh, not this specific role, but a role very similar to this uh, for quite a number of years now. Um, and likewise, Jim, um, in his time at St Mirren and Aloha previously, you know, the, the the network that we've got now, um, hopefully if there's a player out there, we're able to pick the phone up to at least two or three individuals that are going to be able to give us a, an accurate assessment of what that player is. Um, and the benefit that Darren brings is that obviously um, uh, pushes that ability uh, further afield to do that um, into uh, the far reaches of, of Europe and, and beyond. So we think we've got that relatively uh, well covered now um, and Jim is um, he's absolutely sure that he's not going to bring a player in off the the wrong character and one that we don't think can um, fit into this uh, this culture in this dressing room um, and we've seen that already um, obviously you guys and the fans uh, hear about all the players that we choose to sign but you don't always hear about the ones that we choose not to sign um, and a few do fall by the wayside because um, we've done that side of the diligence and we don't think it's going to be a right fit for Aberdeen. Listen, we, we, uh, we moved into a positive phase. The interview has only maybe only got 15, 20 minutes to go. We've done it an entire post-mortem, but I think we do need to confront what happened just before um, Darren was appointed, um, just after the end of last season's transfer window. One, what do you think the principal problem was in terms of how well the signings performed? And you hinted at this earlier on, specifically what have you and the, the recruitment group learned? Um, I'll, I'll pick up on the second uh, point first, the, the, the learning process. Uh, so we've, we have an infrastructure in place now that we just didn't have this time uh, last year. So uh, that ability to um, look at the wider, uh, the wider market across uh, Europe, we, we did know the markets we wanted to be in at that point, but we didn't have, the, I suppose, the same capability that we do now to actually go and exploit uh, those markets. Um, so the fact that we've got that infrastructure in place now with Darren, with his team, um, with a new uh, performance analysis uh, team now as well um, that wasn't in place uh, uh, back then. Um, we took uh, Jordi Rams as our new head of performance analysis. He has come from uh, Michelin 
and uh, he is uh, originally from Barcelona, so he uh, spent some time in the um, in the youth and uh, community football set up at Barcelona before um, he went to the US and then on to um, on to Michelin. So um, that's another guy that adds to that um, adds to that network and. It, he also brings, obviously, um, a level of expertise operating at the a level of club um, that he has, like Michelin, who have um, European uh, pedigree as well, and they have a really strong uh, track record of how they use data and the decisions uh, that they make. So all of these things um, have helped us uh, improve on the position we were in uh, this time uh, last season. So it's difficult to... To compare where we were then with where we are now, because um, most areas of the football operation have uh, have had a, um, quite a significant change, actually, either in their their leadership uh, of each of the functions or um, within the support team within those functions. Try, try and explain, if you can, again without you know breaking any confidences. As I understand, a sort of system whereby there's a very specific head of recruitment, a director of football, a coach, we often call it a manager, and a board. In the systems I've seen working best, not just in Spain but across Europe, the coach will get a very specific voice at the beginning of the process saying, I need this position, I want this type of guy, and I want this age profile, all the various things a coach might say. After which it kind of goes to the recruitment department where the director of football will, will guide and steer in terms of uh, contractual possibilities, budget possibilities, wage possibilities. And then eventually there'll be a wide range of suggestions comes back. And I want to know, who's involved in, in, in the sifting out, in the selection? At what point does the manager get involved? Which, because I think there are stages in that process where it's far too soon for a coach to get involved. But ultimately... If the board has said yes to the package financially, at what point does the coach, our coach, now I am talking specifically about Jim Gooden, get to say no or yes? I, I, I think the Danish fans would love to understand the specifics of that, that process. Yeah, I, looking at this, my role uh, within this and, and how this role sits either in England or uh, throughout Europe, obviously... There's different structures at, at different clubs and um, I am of the firm belief that all of, all of the people you mentioned there, um, the board, the manager, myself and the head of recruitment uh, in, in Darren Mowbray, we all need to be on the same page from step one of that, of that process. So step one really is we've got a budget available. That is set by the board. Uh, we have a football monitoring board that sits below the main board, um, which is basically a subgroup of the of the main board. Includes uh, myself, uh, Dave Cormack, and a couple of the other um, directors. And Jim attends those uh, meetings as well. And what they want to hear is what is our plan for the next six, twelve, twenty-four months in terms of squad structure. Um, clearly, there's a big financial element of that. And because I suppose we um, budget quite aggressively as well um, and set ourselves um, uh, quite significant targets in terms of cup progression, you know, qualifying for Europe, where we finish in the league, then uh, the onus is on us to make sure that we 
do have that sport and performance on the on the pitch and the and the rewards, the financial rewards that come with that, but also the building, the value, and being able to to reinvest um, on on player sales. So. Um, the football monitoring board, including myself and Jim, um, are all on the same uh, page with that. So we leave those meetings with a clear idea of the expectations that are upon us. Um, we meet regularly as uh, with the with Darren as a recruitment team. I speak to Darren multiple times every day, um, not just in in the transfer window because. People think we're busy now because all of the um, everything that we're doing is coming to fruition. But this is a process that's um, ongoing for the, the whole twelve months of the of the year. There's no there's no let up with that. Um, so we are able to um, identify what funds we've got available, what players we're going to retain, who might move on, and then um, we agree where we want to target those funds. You know, is it a starting number nine? Is it a potential uh, backup centre midfield player? Um, and we try and make sure that the structure of what we're investing in each position um, fits with what we believe they can obviously bring to the team. Now, that sounds a very obvious thing uh, to say, but what you don't want, and it, and it does happen quite often, and you see it at other clubs as well, and we're, it's something we're trying to improve at, we don't want a whole lot of resource um, sitting on the bench and not contributing. So we need to be um, quite sure in our decisions that the ones that might take a little bit more investment than others are the ones that we think can have a real impact in the team. You know, stop the ball, get in the goal, put the ball in the other goal. Um, um, those, old, those old things. Providing the assists, yeah. Um, so we, tr- we do try and uh, keep that to, um, to a structure and that then informs the profile, the individual pro- pro- profile of players that we're, that we're looking to, to bring in. And to answer your question um, about Jim's veto, if you want to call it that, um, yeah. that can happen at any stage in the process. And players can become, we can become aware of players through the recruitment work we're doing, you know, through a phone call that somebody's, that somebody's made. Maybe it's a player we didn't think was available now has become available. That, that does happen on occasion. Um, so Jim can say no immediately or we can go and do some work. Um, he can, if the recommendation is strong enough that we take it to the next level, then Jim can go and spend, you know, hours and hours on Y Scout or, you know, speaking to people that he knows in his network, he can come back and say no at that point. Um, so the, we're never going to bring a player into this club and it, we've never done it and we're not going to start to do it that the manager absolutely doesn't want to be in his dressing room. Um, so that's just a reassurance to, to everyone that that's the way. And I firmly believe that's the right way to recruit football players. She so couldn't have answered. I want to link back to uh, Jim's interview that I did um, at Patoji uh, at the end of the season, just before the Champions League final. He talked about wanting to play a high line. He wanted to. He talked about wanting to have the defence much higher up, so that the midfield was higher up, so that we were pressing opponents both home and away, but particularly at home, which ties with what you're saying about uh, Ilbar having the, the chance to shoot from the edge of the box against potentially a packed defence. And he talked about, you know, I'd, I'd felt that watching the team last season, it didn't play high enough up. It's partly because of maybe a lack of pace in behind. We didn't have a, le- a natural left-footed centre-back. Joe's not a player. So I want to just a, a snapshot of Keller Roos, please. Yeah, because 
when he's been playing, we can already see he's like another midfielder. Never mind a sweeper keeper. He's very comfortable out of the pitch. Just give a snapshot of information about this guy from Nijmegen, originally from Nijmegen. So, um, Kell's obviously spent a significant part of his career in the UK. I, I suppose he's used to the hustle and bustle of what that uh, the game in the UK can be. So, you know, he can handle himself, I think, in a packed box. He's got the physical um, presence to, to handle himself. But like you pointed out, distribution um, it was always going to be key for us. Uh, in bringing in um, bringing in another uh, goalkeeper, and what we think we've got now is real competition in the number one spot. And um, you know, Joe's been a really uh, important servant for Aberdeen, both on the pitch and off the pitch. His his whole time here, I still think he's got a huge amount of value uh, to bring to the team and to the to the club. Um, but I think he would admit himself that um, he never had that um, that real competition for. Um, for a place um, and uh, now that, that's there and we should have that right across the right across the pitch and I think you, you, with the ones we've brought in uh, this summer um, whether it's goalkeeper or further up the pitch I think that's what we do have now um, competition for places and Jim has beyond what might be the starting 11 you know this weekend against Celtic um, he's going to have options on the bench that can come and actually make an impact um, in the game and that, that was always going to be really important for us There are multiple facets to the work that you do but we can't ignore contracts and sales two really key ones there have been a lot of departures but I want to focus on two I'm, I, you know, I'm gutted uh, to see Calvin Ramsey go so soon because I think he's a wonderful talent a good athlete but Clearly the package deal um, achieved by Aberdeen in that has been really positive for us. I want to know about your role in that. And, you know, I'm just back from Italy where I was interviewing uh, Liam Henderson at Impoli uh, just at the time that um, we were saying goodbye to Ferguson. And Liam was saying, look, I'll look after him. I want to be in touch. And I said, good lad, you know, there's more to give, I think. Um, because the number of goals he, he, he produced in a team that wasn't functioning particularly well last season, the fact that he's had Scotland call-ups, there's probably more to come from Lewis Ferguson. But again, we did reasonably well on the deal there. Give people as much information as you can about those two deals and your role in it, although it's a, you know there are other people who have responsibility for sales, so that people can understand what it is you do in situations like that and where you're, if, if at all, proud of what you managed to achieve in those two situations well again uh, we have to rewind the clock to really see um, why we're able to arrive at some of the um, some of the deals we have uh, with these two um, top talents that you've just uh, mentioned there and you can't clearly achieve those types of figures if players are running their contracts down um, or they've got a year of a contract left for example um, because then they can set a contract out, they can maybe leave for a training compensation amount or even free, depending on uh, the age of the, the age of the players. So it's been important for us for the last number of years to try and get our who we believe our emerging talents are the ones that could have potential significant value further down the line, um, committed to long term uh, contracts. And we were able to do that clearly with Lewis when he first came in from Hamilton um, on a four-year uh, contract. And that four-year contract then gave us the basis to commit him to a longer 
term five-year contract within one year of him actually being uh, being at Aberdeen and um, you know once we've we've got that then um, we've got confidence in dealing with any interested clubs that we've got protection on the on the club side um, but also we recognize that the whole model is to be able to realize a value at a certain point in time the trick I suppose is to have the timing of that on the club's time frame um, rather than on the buying club's uh, time frame. So I think we were able to achieve that with Lewis. You know, we had him here, I think, for four years. He made a huge contribution to the uh, to the team in so many different ways. Um, and uh, because we had that protection, then we've got confidence to then go and engage with these clubs when they make, um, make their approaches. And I think for too long... Um, Scottish talent's been undervalued in the market um, right across uh, Europe and what we're seeing now is and it's a phenomenon that's I suppose changed over the last 18 months um, at Pataudry certainly we've got Serie A clubs uh, attending we've got Bundesliga clubs we've got English Premier League clubs and they're coming because they're, we've been brave enough to put emerging talent um, into the into the team, some of these guys when they first come in might not actually be ready to come in, but because we've been brave enough and because what these clubs are investing in is potential largely, you know they're not coming buying 27, 28 year old uh, ready made players. They're you know Liverpool are investing in an 18 year old who um, made his debut at 17, played you know 35, 40 games in our in our first team, and while we would have liked to have Calvin longer uh, than we did. Um, again, he would have been entering the last two years of his contract, and now was the the right time to realise that value. And I suppose the qu- the follow up question to that is: Well, why didn't we have him on a longer term contract than than he was on when he signed his extension right before he got his exposure in the first team? Which is probably a good time for us to commit players to. Again, some will work out, some will not. But when they do work out. This is the type of value you can uh, you can realise. Um, so a lot of that's down to the relationship with the player, with his family, with his agent, um, and you know we're grateful to the agents we've been de- dealing with with these players as well because um, they've trusted us to commit to long term contracts with with the club. Um, but also uh, we've been able to work together to make sure that when the time is right for them to move on that um, we're not pulling in different directions and we're looking to achieve the same things. I really like the fact that if we have to say goodbye to Calvin Ramsey, not only is it a club where you hope he'll be well developed, we went toe-to-toe with them. Now, I don't know the answer to this question. Stephen, who went toe-to-toe with them in the negotiations, which they didn't particularly enjoy? And the reason is, I think we came out with a very well-constructed, my opinion, good deal. Who went toe-to-toe with Liverpool? Well, on, on most of these deals, it's myself and Dave that get involved in the in the dialogue with um, with our counterparts at, at, at the opposing clubs. Um, sometimes you're dealing with a sporting director. Sometimes you're dealing with a CEO and an owner. Um, so it's myself and Dave that that take a, a sort of joint role uh, in that. I do a lot of the the day to day talking. Clearly, this has been a dialogue that's been ongoing for some months. These things don't happen overnight so I take a large uh, part of that responsibility but when it comes to the crux when it comes to the 
um, you know, is it the right deal uh, for the club? Then um, myself and Dave are involved in that, and then we take that to the to the board to, I suppose, to say if they're happy with, for us to take that forward or not. Is it a bit of a test because it's a poker game? You know, there there are construct points where clubs will say, "I okay, fair enough. You want to sell on value and." Okay, we will announce it this way, and maybe the basic prices and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of bluff and spoof going on about. Well, he's not worth it. You can't be serious about that. Is that process a test? Does it need a bit of lizard brain in there as well as your professional skills? Yeah, I think so. But um, you need to be able to negotiate from a position of strength. Otherwise, the bluff is valueless at that point. Um, and to get that position of strength, you need to have that commitment on the um, on the longer term contract. Otherwise, um, other clubs are going to call that bluff. But, but Calvin didn't have that. That's my point. I'm talking about this deal in particular. I'm talking about this deal because I was quite proud of the fact that again I say it. Because if we had to lose him, it had to be for decent money. Had to have a sell on it. I can't imagine that, particularly a club as used to dealing with Liverpool, as used to being able to say, right, we'll walk away. I cannot imagine, and I know that they felt that they were getting their toes trampled on. I know, having spoken to them, and they were they were full of bluster about you know I can't believe in this he's only a kid and all that. But I think they, they coughed that they wanted him in the first team squad. They wanted them to be competing with Trent for, for for rotation at least as soon as possible. It cannot have been. It must have been negotiations, which although they were similar to the other ones you've done, they were at Champions League level. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, it's the work that you do before you get involved in the in the negotiation that I suppose helps that um, that process. And you know, we look at things like right, what's the turnover off the club? There's data out there that will tell you the percentage um, that a club will invest. You know, depending on where they see a player, whether he's a core player, a squad player, or you know, coming in as an emerging player like like Calvin would be um, at, at Liverpool. And so we're able to actually go to um, to these clubs and objectively say, look, this is the this is a reason why we're putting this value on um, on this player. And clearly, it's then the challenge of um, of the buying club to, um, I suppose, to give their reasons why the value isn't um, quite what they thought it was. But because we're a well-run club, because we're currently in a position of financial stability. While there's a desire to maximise the value at any given time, we're, it's not that we absolutely have to sell at the first, um, you know, flirtation with a buying club. Um, and because, you know, we've got the uh, the backing of uh, Dave and, and the investor group um, that he that he's brought on board, um, and uh, because we've made good financial decisions over the last sort of ten years or so then we're not forced into um, doing uh, or making a sale that we're not comfortable with. OK, we're closing now. Um, snapshot answers. Let's, let's give the fans a little bit of a taste of... You've been in the club over, over two years. You did your degree at Robert Gordon University. You began at the club when you were on a placement year. And, and largely, although there's been a variance in your title, no doubt your salary over 20 years... Tell them a little bit about maybe the first deal for a player you saw you were kind of on the periphery of going over the line. But then once Dave Johnson, who was your boss for a long time, moved into other projects and you largely were doing what you're doing now, 
the first one may be that you were pretty wholly responsible for getting done with everybody else's support. Those, those two case studies just would be interesting for people to know. Um, I mean, it's a long time ago now, you know, thinking back to, uh, it was year 2000 um, when I started on my placement. Um, that took me uh, one year. So into 2001, it was, um, you know, players like uh, Roberto Visconti um, and Eugene Daddy. They were, they, they were the types of players that come in uh, that first uh, sort of full um, season that, that I had. Um, clearly there were players at the time already in the group like Ian Jess, Paul Bernard um, that moved on uh, during that sort of first 18 months of my uh, my time at the club and it was interesting because I shared an office with, with David Johnson all those um, all those years ago I was completely exposed to you know every conversation that was that was happening um, even uh, back as early as then I was involved in the football strategy meetings that Eb Dal, Gardner Spears, Drew Jarvie all these guys uh, would have sat on and I'd like to think over uh, that long period of time being exposed to a lot of these guys um, you know that Steve Patterson followed and, uh, and Jimmy Calderwood uh, um, you know Mark McGee, Craig um, and then Derek and, and Stephen Glass, obviously, that um, you, it would be it would be folly if somebody to be exposed to to these guys and uh, the conversations that are happening over that long period of time and not come away um, with something valuable or experience uh, from it. Um, so I'm I'm really g- grateful that for the, all these guys that I've been able to to work with over um, over that period of time. Um, and to, uh, I suppose, my evolution in the, in this role and why, I suppose, the club over a period of time had confidence to uh, to give me this responsibility was again it never happened overnight. But going back to, you know, um, when David Johnson was still in the role and I was doing a lot of the uh, the negotiating with agents um, and players when they were still um, development squad players, you know, under eighteen, under nineteen. Uh, players and a lot of these players evolved into being um, Aberdeen first team players so because the relationship uh, with the agent was through myself then that progression just happened uh, naturally that I would pick up the next uh, conversation with with that agent if it was then in a first team uh, contract and beyond um, and when my role I suppose changed to football operations uh, manager and, and alongside um, uh, Derek McInnes I was uh, doing um, quite a significant amount of the actual uh, contract negotiations. Obviously, Derek and Russ were were bringing the the players to the to the table, um, and, and Russ would um, he was very good at uh, making sure that the expectations of player and agent were set before um, before they came to me. And I think that's really important. It's something Darren Mowbray's uh, continued as well. Um, it was players like you know Scott McKenna who had I dealt with Scott and his agent uh, Gordon Reid all through you know Scott coming in as a 16 uh, 17 year old and you know um, I suppose a proud moment for me not because um, we got uh, him to commit to a long term contract but just because you know we'd seen that that guy um, develop over a long uh, period of time put everything he had into, um, into being a, a professional and maximising his talent and to see him get rewarded um, with a long-term contract and then obviously get his uh, get his move um, to Forest and now um, he's going to be a, an EPL player. Um, those are the types of things that, that make you immensely proud for the 
um, the part, the small part in the role that you've played in, in, in that person's career. And congratulations on that. It's the stuff of, of mythology, but was there a financial bonus for Aberdeen when Scott went up to the Premier League? Yes. OK, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stopping asking any further questions because I suspect you wouldn't tell me the amount, but OK, good negotiations. Last two. Um, have you decided on a place in the trophy cabinet for Conor Barron's Ballon d'Or when he, when he eventually does win that beautiful award? <laughs> Unfortunately for us, there's too much space in the trophy cabinet. That's something we're trying to... Aye, OK, trying listen, to I'm, I, I, we'll do another of these interviews halfway through the season when I think we've already nicked the League Cup. Conor, I only joke about because he excites me hugely, individually, when Jim Goodwin talked to me about him in the interview we did at the end of the season, he talked about potentially him being in the line of three behind a single striker. If Jim sets out his stall in certain games as 4-2-3-1, which he said was one of his two key intentions, I'm hugely excited about Connor because I think he's an extremely agile, good vision, wants the ball all the time, Aberdeen DNA right through him, comes from good stock. Um, one... How vital is it in your role to help Gavin Levy and, and Simi and the academy produce people like him? And two, are there others like him in the academy coming through? First of all, it's vitally important. So, you know, I don't think we would be Aberdeen Football Club without having that... Um, that uh, DNA of young players um, getting exposure in the first team and uh, the manager being brave enough to to give players that opportunity and we've seen it already you know this season uh, through the League Cup games where um, you know Jack Milne, uh, Liam Harvey, um, two off the top of my head, uh, Hancock um, have all contributed. Ryan Duncan as well came back. Ryan looked really nice against Peter Head when I saw him when he yeah, came so on. That, I mean, that's four players right away that have spent time through our development system, um, significant time through our development system, um, and who have already got exposure in, in competitive football. And clearly, Connor's one that got that opportunity um, last year. Um, he's one, I think, that excites everybody. And I think he is... I don't want to... He's not the poster boy of the academy, but in terms of what we are trying to produce coming out of the academy, he's ticking clearly a lot of those boxes. There was a huge effort going back a good number of years to evolve the way that we train players within the academy. Um, and I think when you see the technical prowess of Connor, um, how he looks after the ball, where his first touch takes him, um, the range of passing he has... Uh, he's dynamic, um, despite his, you know, his size. He that, that it isn't something that hinders him on the um, on the pitch, and that's I think because he's, you know, he's clever and he's one step ahead of um, of his opponents. And I think we've seen elements of that as well in Calvin Ramsey. You know, a full a right sided fullback that can come in off the right side onto his left foot and smash a left foot drive from you know twenty five yards like he did down at Dundee. Um, to be able to, th these things don't happen by accident. And I think there was a, a video that was circulating on um, social media um, after we sold uh, Calvin to uh, to Liverpool that showed him doing one of the skills tests that we'd set one summer. Um, and I think he was 12 or 13 or something when that 
was videoed, but you you can see even at that early age that that ability to use come off of both feet, um, the balance, the the touch. These are all things that maybe for a period in time Scotland was falling behind um, its competitor nations in Europe. Um, but I think that's a reason why Serie A clubs, Bundesliga clubs, EPL clubs are coming to watch our young talent now because I think they can see that uh, technical abilities beyond where it probably was before. Listen, as somebody who met you first eight or nine years ago in Spain when... I think I'd helped in some degree to get you, uh, Gav Levy, Simi and Emma Flett in, I, I think, to, to study at Maja de Honda at Leti's training, or I, I think, and subsequently I got Barry Robson back there. I, I can testify to exactly what you've said about the, the roots in terms of youth development and, and playing styles and skill sets having been developed for an awful long time. The close, I think, has to be... I, I don't really care if um, people think this is too PR or club or corporate you know you, you can't do all the recruiting, planning restructuring, strategising without for my opinion two very clear streams of support one comes from the chairman and the board and the other has to come from the fans now the fans were clearly and correctly some of the quality of performances particularly on the road I think last season yet they kept turning out in big numbers, I mean, decent numbers, again, that, that bear comparison with Petodri across my entire life, and on the road, very healthy numbers, noisy numbers too. This is my chance to, to close the interview, Stephen, letting you talk about those two different kinds of support, because the vast majority of the um, intellectual support and financial support needs to come from up above, but the fans um, give the players and the club hard-earned cash and love and aspiration and devotion and without those two you know tributaries of, of support and belief and faith you couldn't be doing what you're doing yeah absolutely I think um, firstly on the on the support from above we clearly in the board that, that uh, has been assembled uh, now these people are very driven. They um, absolutely want the club to succeed. They don't want us to be uh, standing still. And clearly uh, all of the people within the club that are employed by the club are, are ambitious too. And none of us want to, be, uh, want to be standing still. And that's why we're always on this evolution of, you know, in, on my side, what the football operation um, actually looks like, investing in different areas of that. But you've seen the big infrastructure projects. You know, the board have driven um, through Dave Cormack, uh, the, the training ground here at Cormack Park. Um, which has been a huge asset for us. Clearly there's a, a plan in place to move to a new stadium that can help us again move to the next level in terms of being able to, um, to drive that turnover up to the 20 million mark that the, the board set as a target um, a couple, couple of years ago. And um, I think those types of projects are evidence of the drive of the people that are uh, that are um, pushing this from from Dave and the board uh, down, um, I think from the fans' perspective, I mean I've I've been lucky enough to see the support of the fans through some really difficult periods. You know, going back um, over the last uh, 22 um, years or so, and they've always given us 
uh, they're back in. They've saved the club at times when, you know, in the early 2000s, uh, the financial situation was a lot more dire than it's, it's ever been since. Um, and for that, we're, we'll always be um, eternally grateful. Um, clearly, if we're going to be able to achieve uh, on the pitch, we'll need the support of the fans to help us uh, to do that. And likewise, uh, we've got a responsibility on the football side to give them something uh, to get excited about. Now, you said right at the start of the call, you know, the wins for us are, um, you know, getting the, these players recruited. I don't think we're quite at any wins yet. Um, you know, that getting players recruited is obviously one part of that. And the next part of it is making sure that we can perform um, on a match day and get the outcomes on the pitch that that we all uh, that we all crave. So there won't be any celebrating um, on this side uh, unless you know there's um, there's something tangible uh, um, for us to celebrate um, to come the end of the come the end of the season and and beyond that. Um, I actually think there's a third area of support as well, and that's the people that commit so much time and sacrifice within the club. And I'm really lucky that I've got a dedicated team of people um, in Emma Flett who you've you've referenced uh, Chris Maver um, and Laura uh, McCallum who is our uh, um, new lawyer in-house lawyer who came in um, not too long ago uh, as well and all of these people have had a significant role to play in helping uh, recruit and attack, um, attract these uh, players as well when we're going through you know the governing body endorsement process when we're going through the visa process when we're getting these players integrated um, into the into the city and making that transition as smooth uh, as possible. And um, I just want to extend a huge thanks to them as well for the part that they've played in um, getting us to where we've arrived at today. We've spent the entirety of this chatting about the men's team and the youth system. I was, I was hugely proud and impressed by the women's team, which I think also falls under your remit last season. They start against Hamilton on the 7th of August. It's That's... I don't know if it's 10 days or so away right now as we speak. I haven't done my counting properly. Maybe just about two weeks. Um, they've had a proper pre-season. I, I, am I right in thinking that it, it, at this stage we can be proud about the quality of the squad, their, their league performance? And also I think that we've seen exponential growth in terms of both those areas, quality and performance over the last three, four years. Yeah, I think um, when we took responsibility on for uh, for the women's team, I think going back three, four years, um, obviously at a difficult period um, when they'd come off the back of two uh, relegations and the aim was always to get back to SWPL1, um, which we've been able to, to achieve. Um, we've played a significant role as well in um, the... Uh, migration from the for the women's top tier across to the SPFL and hopefully uh, with that comes more commercial support, more opportunities to to grow the game uh, further and obviously more commercial opportunities that can help us again reinvest uh, back into the, the women's team here but also we've got a vision and now where we want to be developing the whole women's ecosystem in the North East and our responsibility would go beyond uh, you know, just the 20-odd the players that, that operate in the women's team uh, on a match day just now. Um, clearly that's going to take a bit of time, a bit, uh, quite significant uh, resource to, to do that, but we are developing our three- to five-year uh, plan on that now. 
um, and you know we'll have members of the the women's team involved in that uh, involved in that process um, and uh, again fortunate that we've got the support from all the other functions in the club in terms of building uh, the profile of the of the women's game from you know the marketing team the commercial team the PR team so we've got all of that support and uh, hopefully we can enjoy another successful season. The challenge for us is obviously recruiting players from from out with uh, the area. Um, our talent pool really is is focused on the northeast at present. But again, we'll be looking at how do we um, create opportunities for players maybe to come from further afield if we if we need to do that. But one thing uh, that again we've been successful at, like on the men's side, is is bringing uh, local young uh, talented girls into the the women's program. So I think five. Uh, players we committed to this season um, from the AFC Ladies Under-19 uh, group that played in the Scottish National Performance uh, Programme uh, last season. And we've got that relationship with AFC Ladies that's seamless now where players can um, that are signed for the Under-19 programme can come up and supplement um, our squad as well. So that pathway and being able to show that pathway to young uh, girls and that they can see that there's the opportunity for you know, professional football potentially at the end of this now, now that we've committed to five um, professional contracts, um, that opportunity is going to be there for young girls in this region when, you know, looking back a couple of years, that, that just wasn't there. Stephen, I'm hugely enthused, just so that everybody's absolutely clear, um, I don't do this as a, as a paid job, I do it because I'm convinced, I believe in what I'm seeing happening I believe in the strategies behind the actions. Um, last season was brutally tough for us all to suffer within and out with the club. But I want to say um, you've explained very well some of the background of what we've all watched happening this summer. You won't say it, but I'll say it. I think in terms of Aberdeen uh, in Scotland, we've won the summer. So far, the market's not closed yet. That's my point of view. I also fully expect us to be to be covered. I don't like the euphemisms that I hear across football right now. This is a season where we can, and I hope will, win a cup. Um, going close or see how we go. It's all very good in terms of jargon. This is a season where we can, and I hope we will, win a cup. And I'm excited to watch the team gel. Thank you for taking the time to explain it. Um, I think you explained it well. There's a lot for Dandy's fans to talk about, whether they've liked what you or I have said or not. You've given them meat on the bone, and I appreciate you doing it. Director of Football, Stephen Gunn. Up the dandies. Thanks, Graham. You don't just want to shave it all off. Uh, shave your head. Get rid of it. No? Okay, well, I'm going to keep checking back. How things been with the children? Oh, we adore them both. Princess is a four foot seven inch ball of energy. <laughs> oh my God, do they have the faces of angels? I bet they have the faces of angels. Yeah. Do they totally love you? Yeah, I bet they totally love you, don't they? <laughs> Still haven't bonded properly with them. Who wants to put up a tent? I'm not fun enough. Where's Princess gone? Princess! You never do anything by the book and it always works out. I do everything by the book and it never works out. Oh my God, did I buy the wrong bloody book? I can't 
cannot believe that he supports Arsenal. I don't belong here. But he's young. Switch him to Spurs. He's already said, and anyway, I'd rather he was an Arsenal fan than someone who switches teams. I mean, that's like cheating on your wife. Sorry, mate, no offence. You're selling our flat. Your tenancy runs out in three months. It's only a few weeks until we go before the judge. Does that mean we're going to lose custody of the kids? The council wants stable families. What, what are we going to do? If I didn't have you. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, how do we know that they even want to stay with us? Because we have a good love. One that can survive life. doesn't just happen to you. It's hard work. If you want it, you find it. Woo! Oh, yeah! You're not being me, are you, to do that? You need to fully understand my, um... philosophy of life. <laughs> you rarely hear a phrase like that coming from someone eating two children's yoghurts. Season three of Trying is now available every Friday on Apple TV+. Our first home fixture of the season is this Saturday against St Mirren. Kickoff is at Pataudry at 3pm. Tickets for this one are on sale now from the Pataudry ticket office. Unfortunately, if you can't make it to the game, no pay-per-view or season ticket coverage on Red TV this season. But if you have Red TV International, you'll be able to watch coverage from 2.30pm or audio only in the UK and Ireland. Elsewhere in the Premiership this coming weekend, on Saturday it's Motherwell versus St Johnston, Rangers are at home to Kilmarnock, and it's Ross County versus Celtic, all 3pm kickoffs. And on Sunday it's Hibs versus Hearts at midday, and Dundee United versus Livingston at 3pm. You can take part in match day chat with other dandies on the longest running AFC forum, Don's Talk. Just register for free at donstalk.co.uk. And if you're wanting to keep up to date with all the latest Don's news throughout the week, head on over to our socials at Inverness Reds or go to invernessreds.co.uk. So we're back into the swing of things. I'll catch up with you next Tuesday as normal. Till then, have a great week and stand free. That's all for this week. More Aberdeen news next Tuesday evening from 8.